Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. I want us to start um, with a question. Do you live a blessed life? Do you live a blessed life? I did a Google search on that phrase. I live a blessed life. I stumbled upon one guy who wrote, I live a blessed life. The people that I keep close are worthy. Spontaneity governs my path, and luck is always on my side. I have no responsibilities, and I am defined by freedom. I have known great love. On a superficial level, I like who I am. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) So that's how he would describe a blessed life. How would you describe a blessed life? And is your life blessed? Everything in our passage today revolves around the blessing. The blessing is God's promise to bring certain benefits into the life of the receiver, and best of all, that the Lord will be his God. And everyone in our story today wants a piece of that blessing, and they do some crazy things to try to get it. What we're talking about is God's blessing to Abraham. Uh, That is really the centerpiece of the book of Genesis. And the drama in Genesis is what people do when that blessing is threatened. Our story today is about what four people do for the blessing. Isaac, Rebecca, and their twin sons, Esau and Jacob. All four of them manhandle, I can't think of a better way to say it, they manhandle God's blessing. And because of that, all four of them are case studies that we need to examine for our lives today. And that's why the title of the message today is manhandling the blessing of God. Manhandling the blessing of God. This is the second in our sermon series on lessons from Jacob's journey with God. And we're calling it a disciple's life, the blessing and the limp. As followers of Jesus, we also have, we have a God-blessed life. We put our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ He is our friend and our advocate who pleads our case with the Father, our Savior, our Lord. The Bible says he has made us rich in every way. We have a peace that passes all understanding. We enjoy and convey the love of God in Christ. We've been given a purpose for our lives. We're part of a great nation of God's people from all nations. We're holy in his sight, set apart by him and for him through the magnificent saving work of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of eternal life and a forever family. So this is, this is the package of blessing that comes to us through faith in Jesus. But like the four people in our story today, I'm afraid we often manhandle our God-blessed life. I know I do. Till all we have left at times is a, is a shadow of what God wants and what God intends to give us. So you know what manhandle means? It, it means to mistreat, to misuse something, to handle it roughly, to do it damage. So if somebody manhandles you, it's not a good thing, right? We, so what we're going to talk about today is how to avoid manhandling the blessing of God. Here's our starting point today. You will manhandle God's blessing if you grow blind to holiness. 
You will, you will manhandle God's blessing if you grow blind to holiness. When we <clears throat> manhandle the blessing of God and do it damage, we actually end up damaging ourselves even more than we already are by our sin. We're left broken by our sin and our pursuit of what the self wants. The gospel is what changes everything for the broken. It restores us to a heavenly father and renews our lives from the inside out. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. So there's a song on the airwaves these days about the gospel. And uh, the chorus goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. To the captive, it looks like freedom. To the orphan, it feels like home. To the skeptic, it might sound crazy to believe in a God who loves. In a world where our hearts are breaking and we're lost in the mess we've made, like a blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. And I want to remind you of our church vision, which is powered by the gospel. Uh, It would be a mistake for us to ever talk about our church vision without realizing that it's not our power that will bring it about. It's the empowering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's on the front of your bulletin uh, every week, but don't just take it as words. Pray the gospel power into that vision for yourself and for our church to be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. You know, when we manhandle the blessing of God in order to serve ourselves in some way, we, the broken, do more breaking of our lives and our relationships. But the Lord is able to bring real life and wholeness to us through the gospel. The words whole and holy, they they come from the same root. They're really just two ways of saying the same thing about God's restoring work. That we can be made whole, and we can be made holy in Jesus. Freely, fully forgiven of our sin, and set into, this is what God does. He sets us into restoration mode. He's the only one who can do that. He sets us into restoration mode. And if that is not your default setting, that restoration mode, you're going to end up manhandling God's blessing because along the way you'll be growing blind to the holiness, which is Jesus. He's the Holy One. The holiness for which he died and rose again in order to make that holiness yours. His righteousness made yours. So let's look at the four characters uh, in our story today, and let's start with Isaac. Isaac, he led a blessed life, a life he inherited from his father, Abraham. God blessed Isaac with a beautiful wife, Rebecca, twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And we won't read all of Genesis chapter 26, it's a long chapter, but let me summarize it. It speaks of Isaac's enormous success as a farmer, even in times of famine. And it says that the rulers who were all around Isaac wanted to stay on his good side. They were often saying to him, you are blessed by the Lord. You are blessed by the Lord. They could see it. They knew it. And if that isn't enough to convince you of Isaac's blessed life, consider that the Lord himself appeared to Isaac and said to him, 
I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's the heart of the God promise, isn't it? I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So that man, Isaac, he had a blessed life. God was with him. God was for him. But I want you to notice the strange bridge, if you will, from chapter 26 of Genesis into the story in chapter 27 that's before us today. Chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon, the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Last week, we watched Esau sell his birthright for a bowl of tasty stew. God did not matter to Esau. And now we see more evidence of that reality, that Esau went outside the people of God to marry two pagan wives who shared nothing of his godly heritage. Their gods were idols. And furthermore, the text tells us that that Esau and his wives were a source of grief. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So with all this in mind, what would you expect to read next in chapter 27? What would you expect? Whatever you would expect, I don't think you would expect what actually happens. Genesis 27 tells us that Isaac decides to give his blessing to Esau in exchange for, wait for it, some tasty food. Uh, does that have a familiar ring to it? You, do you, are, is it you remembering anything from last week? <laughs> Something about some tasty food? Like father, like son. Or in this case, I guess, like son, like father. So Isaac is the first person in this story today to manhandle God's blessing. Follow along as I read Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1. When Isaac was old... And his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of, what? Tasty food. (laughs) Tasty food I like. And bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. But that should have had some bad connotations for Esau, but he didn't seem to pick up on it at all. God's blessings come in all forms. Good crops, new babies, good health, good friends, a good education, a good place to work, and on and on. But his better blessings are forgiveness, peace, joy, a clean conscience, a mind that's being shaped with godly thoughts, noble thoughts, a rock-solid hope for the future that you cannot yet see. These are all blessings that come to us, and they're, they're awesome. They come to us in our union with Jesus Christ. And only a heart that is being made holy by the grace of God in Christ can receive these better blessings. And Isaac's heart was as blind as his eyes. For one thing, I think we've established that his stomach ruled his dark world. 
over and over. You watch for it. We're going to come across this same phrase over and over again. Tasty food, tasty food. Isaac loved Esau because he loved the wild game that Esau brought to him so that he could eat some tasty food. There are multiple reasons why Isaac should know that Esau would not receive God's blessing, even if Esau brought him some tasty food. Yet none of that at this point seemed to matter much to Isaac. He had grown blind to holiness. When you prioritize your life by your senses, what you see, hear, smell, taste, feel, when, when, when God's word is no longer your final word, you're no longer able to receive nor to give the blessings of God's holiness. You've slipped into a different mode. Uh, Jacob's stories here in Genesis, they're very artfully crafted um, by Moses through the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And you really have to pay attention to, to what the author of Genesis is up to. His words are, are carefully chosen, as is true of all of Scripture. But often you'll find that his words are, are given kind of a double duty. Like when verse 1, take a look, when verse 1 says Isaac could no longer see, Isaac could no longer see, the author kind of waits till I get it. He could no longer see. Do you mean in more ways than one? Not just physically? He nods. In other words, Isaac had lost his physical eyesight, but he had also lost his spiritual sight as well. He'd lost sight of God's holiness, and what you cannot see, you cannot really enjoy. Psalm 29, verse 2 says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness beauty of his holiness. That's what draws us into worship. Hebrews 12, verse 14, the writer's very blunt. He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So that's serious, because that's the greatest blessing of the God-blessed life. God himself, the Lord himself. It's not the crops or the success or the job or the education or the health or the kids. Seeing God's holiness Seeing how beautiful God is. Something that's put on display for us fully in Jesus Christ. And that is life's best blessing. And if we don't see that, we're growing blind to holiness. Our, our vision is being blunted and dulled by the things that we're seeing all around us. And when you can no longer see what is holy, you can no longer see God. So that's the blessing that Isaac manhandled and eventually lost. Be careful what you choose to overlook in your life, what you, what you let slide in your life, what you let lead your life, lest you go blind to God himself. Here's the second thing we see today. You will manhandle God's blessing if you have more faith in yourself than you have in God. You'll manhandle God's blessing if you have more faith in yourself than you have in God. Verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening. And by the way, I think this, this story that unfolds in this chapter is one of the most tragic that you'll find in all of Scripture. It, it, it's a family destroying itself, losing sight of God completely. Verse 5. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. 
When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some what? Tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now my son, this is Rebekah speaking to Jacob, Now my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So this next scene in the story focuses on our second character, Rebecca. We find her persuading her son Jacob to carry out a scheme that will allow him to gain Isaac's blessing through trickery. Just going to trick him, this old man. I want you to take note of something else that the author of Genesis is doing as we move along in this series. It's almost like the writer likes to drop some breadcrumbs to lead us from one story to the next so that we can see the connection between them. And that's what he does here with Rebecca. We will see that she has the same greasy DNA as her brother. Jacob's uncle Laban. We're going to meet him later on. So just tuck that away for a future message. But I would submit to you that if we look hard and pay attention, we might just catch the angels in Jacob's stories, and they're there. We might catch them winking at each other across Jacob's ladder and across the years. They were in on all of this, and they know how it all holds together. And I want you to know that too. It's pretty cool how the Lord has woven the threads of this story together to capture our imagination and our hearts uh, to help us see ourselves as we see these characters and most of all, of course, to see him. So when we first meet Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24, she is a beautiful young woman who lives in the home of her oily, slick brother, Laban. She's energetic and enterprising. She's a real take-charge kind of woman. And here in our text today, those qualities are alive and well. She's taken charge. But whereas the first time she used those qualities to engage the heart of the man who would become her husband, this time, these same qualities poison her marriage and her two sons. Do you see how strong Rebecca is in this story? She forms this audacious plan and then commands her grown son Jacob to get with the plan and do what she says. Never mind that it will be the death knell of her marriage. Never mind that she cares nothing for her son Esau's welfare. Never mind that she is willing to guide her favorite son Jacob into deception, deeper deception. She's lost her grip on respect, on honesty, on love, on holiness. She surrenders all these things God values in order to somehow try to seize God's blessing. In verses 11 through 17, we learn that Rebecca's plan, well, frankly, makes Jacob very nervous. Verse 11. Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. 
His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared somewhat tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. She lays it out, and Jacob protests this scheme. He says, I would appear to be tricking him. Well, yes, you would, because you actually would be tricking him. <laughs> but I would appear to be tricking him. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I'd be bringing a curse down on myself. Jacob is imagining his father Isaac's reaction if this cockamamie plan goes south. And it has a pretty good chance of going south. As the patriarch, Isaac's curse would be just as potent as his blessing. In verse 13, though, Rebekah is willing to let the curse, if there's any curse, let it slide off, on, off of Jacob and onto her. You can see how much this means to Rebecca. She's willing to pay any price. So she does everything that needs to be done to carry out her plan. She dresses her grown son. There's something that's not quite right about this. <laughs> she dresses her grown son in some of her other son's best clothes. She puts goat hair on his exposed skin to mimic Esau's hairy body. Remember, Esau was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I think we established last week that one of his descendants is probably Elmo, right? <laughs> so, Mama Rebecca puts food and bread into Jacob's hand and sends him on his way to lie to his father and to cheat his brother. Remember from last week that God had told Rebekah the older will serve the younger? Esau would serve Jacob. God ordained that. But as time went by, Rebekah doubted the certainty of that promise, thinking, yes, but, but my old fool of a husband is about to ruin all of that. He's going to try to give the blessing to Esau. Can someone ruin what God has promised. Does she actually think Isaac is going to outwit God? Apparently she does. God has become very small in her eyes. She thinks she can outmaneuver him. Rebecca had one thing right. Something had to be done. What Isaac was going to do was going to be disastrous, especially for Jacob. But could she have done something else? Some might think she did the right thing because, well, you, they can't think of any other options. Some may reply, well, she could have prayed. But for take-charge people, when push comes to shove, they have more faith in themselves than they do in God. Can I get an amen on that? Any of you like that? You've got to trust me on this. I know this is one of my own chronic default sin patterns, that I trust myself more than I trust God. If we can't see any other way to solve a problem, we assume God can't either. 
Now, it isn't wrong to take action when good things are threatened. In fact, we should take action. But it was the kind of action Rebecca took that was, it was completely wrong. Everything she did was toxic. It was toxic with deception, manipulation, disrespect. We saw last week in chapter 25, verse 22, that when she suffered through that painful pregnancy with the twin boys... Rebecca did what? She inquired of the Lord. She went to the Lord. But she's lost that somehow. Not this time. She, she doesn't inquire of the Lord about this scheme that she hatches. She has a plan. And she's going to work that plan. And she's going to fight for God's blessing while caring nothing for God's honor. That's never going to work. As we make our way through the rest of the story, Isaac is eventually tricked. But still, he never, he never calls down a curse on anyone. But make no mistake, Rebecca's life became cursed ever after. Just as she had said, let the curse slide off onto me. Well, it did. And we can see this going forward. Uh, two parts of our story that prove this. First of all, after this incident, Rebecca has to tell her beloved son Jacob to flee because Esau wants to kill him. He's just looking for a chance now to kill him. And she never saw her son Jacob again. Never. By the time he comes home many years later, she's dead and gone. I want you to imagine the kind of life that she lived from this point forward. She was left home alone. Her favorite son Jacob had to flee for his life, and she's home with Isaac and Esau, whom she had cheated and tricked. What kind of a family do we have here? I think a second reason that we know Rebecca was cursed is that when she eventually dies, the Bible does not set aside any space for this great matriarch's obituary, as you see in other cases with the matriarchs and the patriarchs. Her death is never mentioned which is a clear sign in the Bible of dishonor. We'll never know how God would have solved this problem, but I'm thinking it would have been a far sweeter story than the one we have if God had been trusted and sought to make this crooked way straight. Neither Rebecca nor Jacob would have walked the twisted paths they walked had they done things God's way, trusting him, much more likely that, that Isaac and Esau would have been able to deal with their sin. But in the end, those two scoundrels felt like they were the victims and they got stuck there. When you find yourself in a desperately difficult situation, beware of trusting your own instincts more than God. Of having more faith in yourself than you do in the living God. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. In that difficult situation, he may have you act in a certain way, or he may have you wait in a certain way. But whatever way it is, if it's God's way, 
it's, that's the only safe way for you and for your family. Here's the final takeaway for us today. You will manhandle God's blessing if you sacrifice your integrity, which costs you your identity. You'll manhandle God's blessing if you sacrifice your integrity, which costs you your identity. Verse 18, he, that is Jacob, went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Do you feel this? Do you feel the grief of this? Because now he's hiding behind the name of God to promote what this sinful plan. Then Isaac said to Jacob, verse 21, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Do you feel that? He takes the name of God. I am. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. Then he went to him and kissed him. It made me think of the kiss of Judas when he kissed Jesus. He, went, he, he came near and he kissed him. It's an act of betrayal. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, those are Esau's clothes, he blessed him. So we'll stop reading there for today, and we're going to pick up at the point of the actual blessing next time. Uh, the focus of this next scene is our third character, Jacob, the con artist. Six times in verses 18 through 27, Isaac expresses suspicion, and each time he draws Jacob deeper into a lie. In verse 18, Isaac's actual question of the deceitful Jacob in the Hebrew is, Who are you? my son. Who are you, my son? That's a question with an agenda. The writer, again, is trying to take us deep to the heart level if we will go there. Who are you, my son? That's a loaded question for a son who has taken on the identity and the sin of his older brother Esau, the one who had already despised his birthright. Who are you indeed, Jacob? Who are you? And if I'm right that Jacob is the Bible's number one everyman, he is me, he is you, then who are you, my brother? Who are you, my sister? Who are you? Deceit always makes you someone else, someone false. 
was true that Esau had despised his birthright, but Jacob here despised his integrity and his identity, his very identity as a beloved son. I think the thing that confounds us, of course, is that in spite of all this, Jacob still managed to receive Isaac's blessing. And what a blessing it was. Later in the story, as we go along through these chapters, we're going to see God himself coming to Jacob on more than one occasion, drawing him into a deeper faith, although those encounters are a bit painful. Jacob will get the girl of his dreams, although it will take quite some time. His flocks will multiply, although under the thumb of his devious uncle Laban. He will have 12 sons, although they will eventually deceive him. What goes around comes around. They will eventually deceive him, plunging his old age into sorrow. In the end, Jacob, the man who surrendered his integrity and his identity to get what God would have given him for free, Jacob will describe his years at the end of his life as few and difficult. The blessings of God will only bear fruit in the person who is not in hypocrite mode. Remember, God wants to put us into restoration mode. I don't know about you, but do you ever slip into hypocrite mode? I do. And the the blessings of God do not bear fruit when I'm in that mode. The hypocrite, who's an actor playing a part, manhandling the blessing of God. So God's blessing comes freely to the one who lives with humility and integrity and trust. Not perfectly, of course. We all stumble in many ways, but that that is his or her default mode by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That person is blessed. Maybe as we come to the end of this, maybe you're thinking, I've been manhandling the blessing of God. I've been manhandling the blessing of God. What can you do about that? 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7, wonderful verses. They tell us if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So, manhandlers of the blessing, (laughs) hear me well. There is hope. It comes as you step into the light, as you walk in the light of God. There is forgiveness and cleansing and fellowship there. Now, there's one family member left, the fourth character in this story, Esau. He's the one who never had God's blessing because he didn't really care for it. He didn't really care for God. But we're going to look at him uh, more closely in another sermon. I want to close with a challenge. Whenever it seems like the God-blessed life uh, is slipping away from you somehow, what will you do? It's at those very moments when we've got to step back, pray, trust, wait, seek, and let God work in his way, no matter how hard, how difficult that may seem. So check yourself. Don't be afraid. Check yourself for signs that you're manhandling God's blessing as a follower of Jesus? Have you lost sight of what it means for you to be holy? 
Do you have more faith in yourself than you have in God? Are you sacrificing your integrity and your identity in the pursuit of something, something you want, something you feel you need, something you feel you ought to have? Are you living as if you were an orphan? Or are you living as a son or daughter of the living God who has become your father through your union with Christ Jesus by faith? Are you all alone? Are you on your own? Or do you cling to the truth that God is with you and God is for you in Christ Jesus? Pastor and author Gordon MacDonald tells of a, a time when he and his wife were visiting South Africa and a Methodist bishop there told him about a pastor in his district whose home had been firebombed one night. Early in the morning, the bishop had gone out to the township and found the pastor and his family standing in front of their destroyed home. It had been burned to the ground. Nothing was left but the chimney. All personal belongings, furniture, clothing, books, sermon materials, resources, all gone. They had only the clothes on their backs. As the bishop looked at the ruins of their home, he suddenly noticed that the pastor had done something that revealed the bent and the setting of his heart. There on the chimney, on the only part left standing, the pastor had taken a lump of charcoal from the ruins and written the words that were spoken as a vow by all the Methodist pastors each year at their district conference. And here is that vow. Put me to what you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be laid aside for you. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Make that your vow. That is a God-blessed life. Having God in everything. Sold out to Jesus all the way. In good times, bad times, all times. Fully available to your heavenly Father. Not my will, but yours be done, Father. Amen?